David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.07 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is July the 24th, 2019. This is episode 117 of Bitcoin and... And Rubini is chairing India's planned cryptocurrency ban. So we're going to talk about that one. We're going to talk, we're going to have to touch on the Justin Sun drama just because, you know, all in all, there's actually not, I mean, there's, there's a lot of news, but as far as the quality or not the quality of the news, what am I trying to say here? the impactfulness of quite a bit of the news that's going on over the last couple of days is kind of like meh, but at least there's drama. God knows we've got drama. We got dumpster fires freaking everywhere, man. It's like, it's like going through a forest fire of dumpster fires. So we'll, we'll start with the sadist. Uh, this is out of CCN, which is still producing content, even though they said they were shutting down what, a month ago, something like that. Um, again, CCN is not my favorite outlet, but every once in a while they do have a, you know, like a story that, that, you know, that somebody else is not covering. Uh, therefore that's one of the reasons why I, I go ahead and, and scan CCN for you guys. Um, this is from Mark Emmon. This was written this morning. And like I said, Bitcoin sadist Rubini cheers India's planned cryptocurrency ban. So economist and Bitcoin critic Noriel Rubini has hailed a proposed ban on cryptocurrencies in India, calling it good news. According to the New York University economics professor, an actual ban on crypto in the world's second most populous nation will save retail suckers in the country from investing in shit coins. Well, he's got that right. Crypto ban, <laughs> crypto ban, I'm oh, sorry, uh, Rubini consequently hailed the 200 page report containing the proposal and which was prepared by an interministerial committee as coming from a wise government. I don't know about that one. Okay. So as had been previously reported, the anti-crypto proposals contained in the report recommend a 10 year jail sentence plus heavy fines for those caught dealing in crypto in India. But in a move that betrays the interministerial committee's appreciation of blockchain technology, the Indian government was paradoxically urged to consider launching a central bank digital currency. Yeah, you knew that was shit was coming. The economics professor may, however, be jumping the gun here by celebrating the ban. This is because the proposals will be deliberated upon further before a final decision is made, leaving a chance, however slight, that Rubini could be left with egg on his face. Rubini did not miss the opportunity to bash cryptocurrencies in general, arguing that they are a massive driver of inequality. Per the Bitcoin skeptic, this is due to the fact that sleazy criminal whales are taking advantage of the retail investors. In Rubini's view, if the crypto space were a country, the income and wealth inequality experienced would be higher than in North Korea. Oh my God. Uh, 
And I'll read this one tweet that they've inserted here from Mr. Rubini. Good news for 1.4 billion Indians whose savings will not be suckered into thousands of shit coins that already lost 99% of value from peak. Crypto is a massive driver of inequality, sleazy criminal whales getting rich at expensive retail suckers, inequality in crypto worse than NK. You know, and I don't know where he's pulling metrics to figure that one out, but, uh, you know, it's when people make these claims and they don't back it up with math, that's when you should just turn around and walk away. I'm sorry, man. It's like, just turn around, walk away. You'll, you'll feel better about yourself. While Rubini did not specifically name the sleazy criminal whales he had in mind, since he debated BitMEX CEO Arthur, Arthur Hayes in Taipei earlier this month, he has on several occasions accused the crypto derivatives exchange of engaging in unsavory practices that place retail traders at a disadvantage. In a piece published by Project Syndicate, Rubini claimed that this was made possible by the lack of regulation in the cryptocurrency industry. Cryptocurrencies are routinely launched and traded outside the domain of officials, official finance oversight where avoidance of compliance cost is advertised as a source of efficiency. The result is that crypto land has become an unregulated casino where unchecked criminality runs riot as it did in almost every single industry when that industry was being born. That's, that's me talking right now. All right, the gold rush. Do you think everybody was just an ethical son of a bitch who was really nice to each other? Hell no. The early airline industry, uh, the early you know oil and gas industry, you know before regulations hit. Yeah, of, of course. This is human nature. I mean, denying human nature is just outright stupid. Yes, there's a whole bunch of scumbag MFers out there in the space, and there always will be. There's a whole bunch of scumbags in the banking industry, and it's heavily regulated. I mean, this, it's that kind of stuff that that makes me not listen to, you know, the predictions that these people have. What they're saying at the time, you know, I I, I get that it's kind of important, but yeah, I just like as far as the way it's going to hang in the future. Mm-mm. Nah, nah. All right. So India's continuing on India's proposed ban on crypto is not the only negative development in the crypto space that Rubini has recently celebrated. After the Tron cryptocurrency f- founder, Justin Sun, canceled a lunch date with billionaire and Berkshire Hathaway boss Warren Buffett citing health issues, Rubini termed the development a crypto flop, embarrassment and a failure. Oh, God. So his tweet on that from Rubini is another crypto flop, embarrassment and failure. And what a lame excuse. I fell ill with kidney stones, so I can't lunch with Buffett after paying 4.5 millions for it. God, that's, that's just a weird use of language. The crypto Buffett uh, lunch has been postponed. Lucky Warren Buffett. And then he gives a, a, a link to a, a news article about that. Anyway, so continuing on, not one to be concerned with the optics of kicking a man when he is down, Rubini went on to claim that Tron is one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in the crypto sector. The economics professor also claimed that Sun was being targeted by Chinese law enforcement agencies for money laundering and assorted fraud, and this is what had prevented the crypto entrepreneur from honoring his lunch date with Buffett as had been as he had been banned by authorities from leaving the country and it later turned out however that son had all along been in San Francisco recuperating 
Uh, well, I'm not exactly okay. So that's the end of that article, and I'm not exactly sure about that whole recuperating thing. But this does give us a segue into the Justin Sun trauma uh, drama, or maybe it is trauma. I don't know. Let's get into it. This is also by CCN. This is Greg Thompson. Now, this is an earlier one. This is going to give. I just want to give a little bit of, of background on these accusations that that are being flown around. And I don't know anything about Justin's son. I don't like the guy. I don't like, well, it's not that I don't like the guy. Maybe he's a great dude to be, drink beer with. Hell, I don't know. But I know Tron is a scam. From that standpoint, Rubini's right, man. This is just, it's just another shit coin. And the problem with, the problem with Tron is that it has such a huge PR and marketing firm behind it. Uh, or not firm, but clearly there is professional level like industrial level PR uh, and marketing for, for Tron, unlike anything that ripples ripple could put together. Okay. So that makes it not dangerous, but it definitely makes it a thorn in, in certainly in my side, but let's get into what the, the, the background accusations here uh, Tron. Now this, remember this was written, this first came out, uh, in June. All right. And then we didn't hear a whole hell of a lot about it later, but it, it there, like I said, this is for background purposes. Fa- <clears throat> Tron founder, Justin Sun found himself at the center of a $30 million controversy this week after burned investors in a Chinese Ponzi scheme claimed, claimed Sun was complicit for their losses. Victims of the Ponzi say Sun's failure to denounce the scheme, which purported to be associated with Tron, caused more damage than was necessary in a tragic turn of events. One single mother committed suicide after borrowing money to invest in the scheme, only for the scammers to depart with $30 million U.S., or uh, 200 million CNY soon afterward. Unfortunately, this isn't the first time Justin Sun's silence has led to confusion and controversy within the Tron community. The confusion surrounding the scam stems from its name, Wavefield Super Community. <laughs> According to Decrypt, Wavefield is an alternative name for Tron in China. Indeed, a quick Google search for this term shows early Tron marketing materials from 2017 bearing the name. When the, Wave, <clears throat> when the Wavefield Super Community scam appeared on Chinese social media sites earlier in the year, investors appealed to Justin Sun for clarification. The scammers claimed to be one of Tron's super representatives, node operators who maintain the TRX blockchain. Sun finally spoke up regarding the crypto scam, but only after it was much too late. By the time of the following tweet on July the 5th, $30 million had been extracted from thousands of investors and one woman had died by her own hand. Sun wrote, as a leading blockchain protocol, there are Ponzi schemes using Tron, BitTorrent, or uTorrent names like MMM, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Pyramid, and EOS ecosystem schemes. We will never ask you to send money. Be careful and hodl your TRX, BTT. Oh, God, Jesus. It's just, you know, it just kind of gets, it kind of gets stupid. But that's sort of where some of this, these accusations and whatnot are coming from. Um Let's get into. I'm going to stop on that one right there because it's it's not necessary to go into into the rest of it because some of the rest of it will be represented in the next couple of articles here. This is from Max Body Justin Sun to reschedule Warren Buffett charity lunch for medical reasons. <laughs> this is where the real drama starts, man. 
The Tron Foundation is pushing back the Warren Buffett lunch and press conferences to an unspecified date. According to an official Twitter post, Justin Sun, who successfully procured the lunch with Buffett by winning the affiliated charity auction, is currently out of commission due to kidney stones. And associated parties have agreed to reschedule the lunch. In June, Tron founder and CEO Justin Sun won a charity auction on eBay to have lunch with Buffett. The famously successful investor and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, Sun's winning bid was apparently $4.567 million, the highest bid in the event's 20-year history. On July 19th, Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire accepted Sun's invitation to join him at the launch. In addition to Allaire, Litecoin creator Charlie Lee will also reportedly attend the event. Warren Buffett has notoriously voiced some incendiary anti-cryptocurrency views. Last May, Warren said that cryptocurrencies will end badly and called Bitcoin probably rat poison squared. <laughs> More recently, Warren claimed in February that Bitcoin is a delusion, apparently because blockchain does not depend on BTC or actively produce something. Warren said, quote, you can stare at it all day, but no little Bitcoins come out or anything like that. It's a delusion, basically. Yeah, well, it's math. So that means the entire fucking universe is a delusion as well, I suppose. Okay, so there's that. Now, this caused a price plunge in Tron. So Adrian Zinsky, I'm never going to be able to pronounce that gentleman's name. Tron price plunges after Justin Sun denies money laundering accusations. Now, this was 22 hours ago. This is out of Cointelegraph. Tron founder and CEO Justin Sun denied illegal fundraising, porn transaction facilitation, gambling, and money laundering accusations in a post on Chinese social media platform Weibo published on July 23rd. That would be yesterday. Earlier today, Chinese media 21st Century Business Herald claimed in an article that unspecified sources informed its reporters that Justin Sun is still on Chinese territory. The website also cites concerns over alleged pornography-related transactions in his paywo social media fundraising and gambling. Well, the outlet further suggests that Sun cannot leave the country, and this is the real reason why Sun decided earlier today to postpone said Warren Buffett lunch and press conferences without uh, to an unspecified date. The outlet rhetorically asked whether Sun will be able to meet Buffett without first resolving the aforementioned concerns. In a tweet, Sun previously declared that the reason why he decided to reschedule the meeting is a medical condition. In the aforementioned we- 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 Weibo post, Justin addresses the accusations. According to his post, the illegal fundraising accusations are false since after the Chinese government banned initial coin offerings in 2017, the Tron Foundation returned the funds. Sun also says that that also the money laundering accusations have no basis since the Tron Foundation is located in Singapore, complies with local regulations, and does not involve fiat on or off-ramp services. He also noted that when it comes to Paywo allegedly facilitating illegal porn-related transactions, the company collaborates with regulators, monitors users, and tries to ensure that the content is positive. Sun also more broadly addressed the accusations of facilitations of illegal activities by pointing out that Tron is a decentralized internet network (laughs) and that the foundation opposes the unlawful use of the protocol. Lastly, Sun declares, quote, we understand the concerns over the development of blockchain technology and we are willing to open up and communicate to jointly promote the development of blockchain technology in China. By press time, 
Tron price plunged about 16.58% over the last 24 hours, trading at about 0.024 cents, according to Coin360 data. As Cointelegraph reported earlier this month, Sun previously invited more notable figures from the crypto industry to attend his $4.6 million lunch with Warren Buffett. So there's that. All right, so now... So everybody's like, where's Justin Sun? Well, Justin Sun posts a video from San Francisco following investigation reports. This is by Helen Parts from Cointelegraph, writing 17 hours ago. Tron founder Justin Sun broadcast a live video from San Francisco to disprove reports that he was prevented from leaving China due to a police investigation. On July 23rd, Sun launched a live video on Twitter to deny rumors that he was prevented from leaving China by local authorities based on charges of money laundering, gambling, and spreading pornography. Additionally, Sun posted a picture with him and his AKA, AKA bodyguard, Cliff Edwards, the Tron director of communications, with the Bay Bridge in the background. Earlier today, local Chinese media outlet Cakeson reported that the Office of the Leading Group for the Special Campaign Against Internet Financial Risk, God, that's a mouthful, called on security organs to launch an investigation into Sun. Per Cakeson, Chinese law states that individuals under investigation can be prevented from leaving the country for one month to one year. The report states that at the time of writing, Sun's whereabouts were unclear. The report follows an announcement that Sun is rescheduling the long-addressed lunch, blah, 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 with Berkshire Hathaway CEO. Uh, The postponement came just a few days after Sun invited more notable figures to the crypto industry to attend the lunch with Buffett, including eToro founder Yanni Asia, the head of Binance charity fund Helen High, as well as Jeremy Allaire. Meanwhile, the Tron price reacted positively to the news, seeing a slight recovery after a major decline caused by the Chinese media reports. At press time, Tron is up about 2.27% over the past hour, while still seeing losses of over 13% on the day. Uh, Earlier in July, the offices of Tron Affiliate in Beijing were surrounded by police as a crowd gathered to protest a Chinese Ponzi scheme that operated under a Tron-like name. So there's that connection. Back to that pon- back to that whole Ponzi thing, and uh, you know, so there's just it's 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 weird drama, and I, I I know that you guys are screaming at me for even covering it, but it's you know it's one of these things where it's like that's you got to understand what kind of a dumpster fire Tron is, and what kind of a dumpster fire everybody's exposed to to anything like a quote-unquote cryptocurrency that has a leader, okay? It's really important to stay away from anything that even looks like it has a central leader, a soul-guiding force, right? It's bad enough if you've got a group of people, even if that group of people is interchange, not interchangeable, uh, but people rotate in and rotate out, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's not like the, the whole core, you know, Bitcoin core thing is, is not perfect, but I'll tell you this, it's one hell of a lot better than ha- than ha- holding an altcoin or a shit coin with Justin Sun or Roger Ver or Craig Wright or David Chom. I mean, anything, anything that even remotely approaches a, a solitary single entity that represents, quote unquote, the face of, of your coin 
is a coin that you should burn that bag. You should sell it or, or burn it or walk away, whatever it is that you want to do, but punch out because this shit is just, it's just, I don't know. In my opinion, most of this stuff is destined for brutal failure. There is a, there, and he, going back to Rabini on this, he's not wrong about 99.98% of this space because about 99.99 or 98 or somewhere maybe around there, most of this stuff is just total trash. It, it, it. So from that standpoint, as much as I want to hate on Rubini, eh, he's not exactly wrong. I just think he's wrong about Bitcoin. So moving on, Max Body or Bodie, I can't B O D D Y. I'm going to go with Bodie is writing for Coin Telegraph. Bitfinex and Tether double down on claim of no customers in New York, and this was written yesterday. Lawyers for Bitfinex and Tether in the course of the ongoing case against the New York Attorney General submitted multiple filings on July 22nd, alleging that the companies never serve customers within New York. In one filing, Attorney Stuart Hogner noted the provision in Bitfinex terms of service that require the customers that transact be foreign entities. Quote, under Bitfinex's and Tether's terms of service, eligible contract participants that contract or that transact with Bitfinex or Tether must be foreign entities, although those foreign entities may have shareholders or personnel who reside in or otherwise have contact with the United States or New York. <laughs> Bitfinex's and Tether's customers are the foreign entities themselves. Bitfinex and Tether do not transact with any New York eligible contract participants. In another filing, Representatives from the firms Steptoe and Johnson LLP and Morgan Lewis and Bacchus LLP wrote, quote, for purposes of personal personal jurisdiction, OAG cannot show respondents engaged in any business activity purposefully directed at New York. OAG tries to confuse matters by referring to isolated instances where respondents, foreign customers have shareholders or other personnel in New York. But in those circumstances, respondents, counterparties, the ones with which respondents actually transacted business are the foreign entities, end quote. Additionally, the lawyers also argue that even if the New York Attorney General were successful in showing that the company served New York residents, they have not established that the investors were affected by the company's activities. Well, that's not really going to matter. If you transacted and even made money, they don't give a shit. They argue that the dozens of documents filed by the Office of the New York Attorney General submitted to establish the company's connection with New York residents only demonstrate a grab bag of miscellaneous and unrelated New York contacts rather than evidence that investors were actually harmed. Again, that's not going to matter. The filing further states, quote, after broad jurisdictional discovery, OAG has not shown that any aspect of the crypto capital relationship or the loan transaction touched on New York in any way. OAG has failed to identify a single New York customer who was misled or even considered representations about Tether's backing, nor any New Yorker harmed. And again, whether or not a New Yorker was harmed does not freaking matter. It just doesn't. That's not that's not the point. Am I for the New York Attorney General's office getting into everybody's business? No. But constantly saying that well nobody was hurt does not matter. It 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 just doesn't. That's outside of whether or not it something complied with with the law. 
Uh, continuing, as previously reported by Cointelegraph, the New York-based Metropolitan Commercial Bank shut down accounts associated with Tether. A bank spokesperson reportedly said that Tether only held its accounts for five months and that they saw negligible activity during that period. So there's your Bitfinex and Tether news. Uh, South Korea news. This was a couple of days ago. This is Jimmy Aki writing for Bitcoin Magazine. South Korea has been hit with approximately $2.28 billion in financial damage due to cryptocurrency-related crimes within the last two years, according to a report from the Korea Herald. According to the report, the country's justice ministry has indicated, or I'm sorry, indicted and detained 132 suspects believed to be involved in one form of crypto scam or another, while another 288 suspects have been have so far been indicted, but are not in detention. The report also details the activities of smaller crypto exchanges that defied the orders of the Justice Ministry by operating beehive accounts used to circumvent the ban on anonymous crypto trading. Such measures allow the exchanges to manage investors' funds using their bank accounts. God. Uh. South Korea adopted a trading system in January 2019 that led to the abolition of anonymous bank accounts as part of the government's anti-money laundering policy. However, these opaque accounts have presented exchanges with the ability to circumvent the trading system nonetheless. So it, the whole not your keys, not your Bitcoin is even go, falling down deeper into a black hole of stupidity by allowing people to just use your bank account. I mean, that's what this is telling me. So I'm just going to leave that one over there. Uh, let's see here. Quick bit confirms data leak. Uh, so again, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And every time that your information is on a centralized exchange or a centralized anything, assume it's already been compromised. This is Jimmy Aki writing July 22nd, again for Bitcoin Magazine. Sweden-based cryptocurrency exchange QuickBit has confirmed, confirmed an alleged data leak of customer records in an update to its blog. According to the exchange, an outside contractor... Let me you know, let that sink in. An outside contractor left customer data unprotected while carrying out a security upgrade on QuickBit servers. This negligent behavior affected roughly 2% of the exchange's customers, the Post explains. Quote, QuickBit has recently adopted a third-party system for supplementary security screening of customers, according to the exchange. Quote, in connection with the delivery of this system, it has been on a server that has been visible outside QuickBit's firewall for a few days and thus accessible to the person who has the right tools. End quote. The data leak was first reported by cybersecurity firm Comparatech and researcher Bob Dychenko earlier this month. The duo revealed the existence of an unprotected database that was accessible online. According to the researchers, customers' records, such as names, email addresses, social security numbers, and even private keys, geez, were left on an unprotected database. QuickBit has now refuted these claims, stating that sensitive details such as private keys, account passwords, and social security numbers weren't affected. So who are you going to believe? I don't know, man. And it doesn't matter who you believe at this point. If you're going to leave anything at all important, on these exchanges, you need to assume that you've already been compromised. Actually, even before you put your data into these things, assume you're going to already be compromised the minute that you submit. Actually, I always assume that the minute that I start writing in a field, 
when if I'm on somebody's website and I it's like halfway through putting in my email because I want to receive their newsletter, I start thinking I'm like, do I really want to do this? And sometimes I wonder if that field is being actively scanned. You know that even if like it, even if you didn't uh, hit the submit button on something and you fully filled out a field. Uh, sometimes I wonder if even that is is enough that you really don't need to hit the submit submit button. I don't know. Anyway, um, let's get into this thing from CCN again. Apparently, they're still writing, even though that they're defunct. Uh, Elizabeth Warren accidentally just made the case for Bitcoin. This was on the twenty second by PH Midori. Elizabeth Warren's team released a blog post today with the apparent intention of scaring people into voting for the Demo- for the Democrat, but the coming economic crash and how to stop it may have a different effect altogether from those getting interested in Bitcoin. Bitcoin and Facebook have been in the news regularly as of late, with some lawmakers and bankers fearing the upheaval of the global financial system as a result of the latter's Libra project. It's not going to be that. Warren picks a perfect time to talk about the U.S. economy's uncertain outlook. From a crypto perspective, at least, it almost qualifies her as a shill. (laughs) (laughs) Warren's team writes, quote, when I look at the economy today, I see a lot to worry about. Again, I see a manufacturing sector in recession. I see a precarious economy that is built on debt, both household debt and corporate debt, and that is vulnerable to shocks. And I see a number of serious shocks on the horizon that could cause our economy shaky foundation to crumble. Probably not the best word in the world to use, uh, given your position there, Elizabeth. Continuing, what better hedge against a crumbling voodoo economic system than an alternative based on science? Warren cites several problems in the United States economy and how her policies will alleviate them. At the heart of all these problems, though, is the opaque and precarious nature of the central banking system. Warren's economic program is less ambitious than some of the ideas espoused by other members of her party. She'd like to raise wages and cancel debt of American households, but all of her policies require some form of government intervention. For Americans who lived through the 2008 financial crisis, she cites at the beginning of the article, waiting on a government plan to work out might not be attractive. But if they've been paying any attention, they may also be learning about cryptocurrency, which offers an independent hedge against all of the problems Warren cites. And there are a list of bullet points here. One, worried about your wage stagnating? Hold some crypto. Historically, it's proven to rise year over year with limited exceptions. Many believe it will spike during serious economic crises like the one Warren expects. And don't invest in crypto, just just stack sats. Worried about household debt? Stop borrowing and save crypto instead. Okay, I'm just going to start saying Bitcoin. Do bankers with unlimited power and a lack of transparency concern you? Promote Bitcoin and transparency. Here they actually said blockchain, so it got even worse. Again, man, CCN, ah, whatever. And only vote for politicians who support both uh, Bitcoin and transparency. Want a moving economy? Allow Bitcoin and other growing industries to flourish. As you can see, Bitcoin is essentially a partial cure-all for the problems Elizabeth Warren highlights, whether she knows it or not, the left-leaning nanny state Democrat has made the case for Bitcoin in highly effective terms. Bitcoin was born after the last great financial crisis. It has yet to be tested against a new one, but its performance in Venezuela has been useful a useful situation to observe. 
And this is what's so weird is that this final paragraph, they actually write the, the word Bitcoin, but in the bullet points, they use everything but. They'll use crypto, they'll use, and they'll use blockchain. That's, and I was trying to replace those with Bitcoin to make it more, you know, more salient. So it, I don't even, it's kind of hard to figure out what the hell's going on over at CCN. Uh, it's a, it's sort of like a dumpster fire all by itself, but some of their writers, um, you know, bring up, we'll, we'll cover some things that, that other people aren't, even though I have to, you know, on the fly, correct their bullshit. Okay, let's see here. What's going on here in News BTC? Rick D. a couple of days ago is writing bullish for Bitcoin. Trump turns up pressure on Federal Reserve to cut interest rates by Bitcoin. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Really, we don't need to go any further at all. Because, uh, yeah, he wants, he's saying, he keeps saying that the dollar is strong. And then he'll come out and go, but the dollar's too strong. We need to weaken the dollar. And it's like, ugh. Make up your mind, bro. And I know that that's just ridiculous to say because the, the, basically politicians' careers are built on telling a group of people one thing and a separate group of people another and a third group of people a third. Uh, that, that's modern politics. You, you, you know, Forget about kind of any kind of efficacy as far as the message is coming out of any politician, which is one of the reasons why I don't give a shit about any of them anymore because they certainly don't give a shit about me. Um, this last one here is from blockchaindaily.news. And this is, uh, who is writing this? Come on, give me a byline. No? Really? Uh, uh, whatever. Iran adds cryptocurrency mining to official industry status. This was yesterday. Uh, my, 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 my. Uh, a, mechan- a mechanism to mine digital coins was approved by the government's economic commission and will later be put to discussion at a cabinet meeting, said Central Bank of Iran Governor Abdulznar Hamadi on Sunday. Also, Deputy Minister of Energy for Electricity and Energy uh, Hamyan Harari said a plan to apply the exported electricity rate for mining farms will soon be discussed and voted on by the government ministers. Iran has been clamping down on digital coin mining farms in recent months as many people have rushed to mine coins due to very cheap Iranian electricity. Earlier this month, Iran announced that it will be releasing a gold-backed cryptocurrency, which will be mined under the permission of the country's central bank. Local news outlet Meh reported citing Shabab Javamardi. God, these names, why are these names so difficult? CEO of F-A-N-A-P, an Iranian information and communication technology firm. As Shabab said, the Iranian cryptocurrency is mined in accordance with the agreement of the Central Bank of Iran and by a consortium of Iranian private IT firms. Quote, the Iranian cryptocurrency is backed by gold, but its function is similar to foreign rivals, said Javan Mardi. Continuing, quote, the domestically encrypted money is to ease optimal use for Iranian banks' frozen resources, end quote, underlining lack of required regulations in cryptocurrency sector in Iran. The private sector official urged the government for regularization of Bitcoin mining businesses in the country. The announcement came just a few days after a CBI official announced that all cryptocurrency-related activities are forbidden in Iran. So we got another central bank that's going to pull a, a Venezuela. Venezuela. It, and I mean, 
I don't know, man. It just seems like it seems like this particular technology is really unshielding these people from broadcasting that they don't they just don't understand this this tech. And maybe it just means that what they've been embroiled in like even if they've only been in like this like central banking for 10 years maybe that they automatically somehow or another get covered over with what am i trying to say here it's that these these things are not going to work for them because they don't operate that way and they haven't operated in any other way than they have been operating for so long that I think anybody who comes into their fold automatically gets blinded to the outside world and that any other possibility exists to the point that they look at, you know, at, at Bitcoin and go, we can control Bitcoin by doing the same thing. And then they get everything wrong. They get the game theory wrong. They get the application of the technology wrong. They get the application of the hardware wrong. Everything about these things, these central banks that are trying to do this bullshit, it's just they're doing it. You're doing it wrong. You're you're, you're doing it wrong. That's all I'm going to say for that one. Okay, now this one is really, this is not news or this isn't a news story. This is a thread, a Twitter thread from a company called Upstream Data. That would be at Upstream Data INC, Upstream Data INC. And they are basically introducing their newest Bitcoin mining product. All right. The Ohm Mini is the name of the thing. And they go on to say this data center was designed to be stackable in a four foot cube and is perfectly suited for any oil and gas well site. In the background, you can see a flare stack that will be that will soon be removed. And they have two pictures. And they have this little four by four by four cube that is a mining setup and is connected to the natural gas line uh, off gassing uh, portion of a uh, well. It's a I won't get into the actual name of it because the, well, I'll, I'll fall down the petroleum engineering hole. Uh, and then they've got another picture of it, uh, two basically two pictures of it, and each one has the flare stack in the background. And so what, what's going on here is that they're 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 dropping these things into well sites to harvest their natural gas. Now they they continue because this is, this is an interesting thread. This was actually done, uh, was written on July the 19th. Just so you know, this application was very interesting. The oil producer has a hydraulic skid running their downhole pump rotary PC pump, but it was only 15% loaded. They wanted to use the surplus capacity of the engine to burn the rest of the casing gas that was being flared. So we suggested installing a through shaft alternator onto the engine so that we could power the mini data center. Since the engine is also running the downhole pump, it is critical that the mini does not overload the engine. We solved this issue with the addition of a controller that watches the engine RPM and drops the Bitcoin mining load if it starts to sag due to overload or underfuel. All of our products are geared toward being operator friendly without impacting primary site operation in any way. The mini is small enough to fit into the box of our truck, and and here they should basically show a, a, a picture of standard. It looks like a DAW or a like a Ford F, may a three fifty, I think. So it's not like it's not that big of a, it's not that big of a box. 
Here we see a picker lifted out into the gravel base. It is also designed so that multiple units can stack on top of each other and in a row sort of like Lego bricks. This way, if an oil gas site increases or decreases gas production volume, the operator can add or remove minis from the site and redeploy elsewhere. We wanted to offer something that could tackle the small gas volumes while also being scalable. Inside the mini is 4X adjustable shelves custom made from CNC plate steel. A PLC controller manages a VFD and contractor, uh, sorry, contactor panel. We can literally do everything remotely via the cellular connection, effectively zero on-site personnel required. In the picture, the rack is less than half full, 15X S9Ss. This is because the operator wanted to start small and add more units after he was confident the engine could handle it. The Mini is designed up to 50 kilowatts on 240 VAC, 45 kilowatts on 208 VAC. On single ohm Mini data, or they might have said on R. No, they're saying okay. On single ohm Mini data center will reduce carbon emissions by 700 and or 7,400 metric tons per year. If operating fully loaded and utilizing natural gas that would otherwise be vented, I think they meant one single mini. Yeah, I'm sure they 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 skipped that e. One single mini data center. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, Bitcoin mining is the future of oil and gas waste conservation. Producers are slowly catching on. For more information on the mini and our other development vi- vi- developments, visit us at upstreamdata.ca. And let's see, let's see if they're going on anymore. They've pinged a whole bunch of people like Matt O'Dell, Tim Draper, BTC Sessions, Trace Mayers. So they 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 know the landscape of the of the people that actually give a shit. <clears throat> um, and then they just say, okay. And then they, their final one is to, uh, at ERA Alberta or ER Alberta. Here we are doing work, reducing more carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide emissions, uh, per dollar spent than anyone else in Alberta scalable to every oil. Well would be great if you guys took our applications seriously. What is your purpose? So little dig at the, uh, ER Alberta people and who are they exactly? Let's find out. Oh, Emission Reduction Alberta. So, yeah, Emissions Reductions Alberta, ERA, investing in technologies for a lower carbon future. So they're they're uh, digging into into those guys, and and rightly so, rightly so, because this is pretty good tech all over. Although here's here's my pushback. I contacted them via Twitter and with a couple of questions, and the first question was, "How are you scrubbing hydrogen sulfide gas out of the natural gas stream?" And that's a valid question. I grew up in the oil field. There's a picture that my dad took of me, and I think I might have been nine or maybe eight years old, maybe seven, standing on the deck of an oil rig in full-blown exploration, uh, which basically means your your standard drilling rig that's like actually boring hole. And I'm standing there with a uh, big-ass hard hat, four times too big for my head, and... (laughs) holding what's called what's known as the operator's brake uh, at the engine control station. I've been around oil fields for a long time, throwing rocks in mud pits, much to the chagrin of the oil operator, my dad, because <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. And I won't get into what that is, but I've been around the industry long enough and talked to my father before he died long enough to know that almost all natural gas streams have some amount of 
hydrogen sulfide. When you burn hydrogen sulfide in the presence of oxygen, you get sulfuric acid or in the presence of oxygen and water, and you'll always have both because there's always some kind of humidity, you will end up with hydrogen sulfide. And if you feed hydrogen or, or uh, uh, sorry, sulfuric acid in any, you know, in, you know, in some amounts, you know, I'm sure approaching zero after a while, it doesn't matter, but it, there will be some amounts that will be deadly to, in, to uh, internal combustion engines, which will be what is, you know, actually creating the electricity so that you can, you know, burn the, the, you know, you're burning the gas in the internal combustion engine so that you can turn an alternator so that you can generate electricity. All right. So they came back and said that there is no H2S, which I'm like, uh, I'm like going, okay, I'm just going to give you guys the benefit of the doubt because I like what you're doing. So I, I, Literally, I just I just wrote them back and I said, are you telling me that there's zero hydrogen sulfide gas in the natural gas stream of this of this particular well? And the answer was yes, in this particular well. So my final question was, and they never answered this one. Do you have plans in the future to actively scrub H2S out of the natural gas stream so that you would be able to drop these units on more I'll, unf- let's say unfriendly territory. Uh, we call it sour gas. Once you once you hit sour gas, and I can't remember the parts per million of hydrogen sulfide, but there's there's a part there's a ppm of hydrogen sulfide that once you reach and go past, you're into full blown sour gas, and that can damn near not be useful for anything. Um, certainly not not for use in an internal combustion engine. That question has a, has not been answered even right now. And I think it's an important question for upstream to answer because if you can't, then you're sort of at the whim of the cleanest gas fields on the face of the planet. And quite frankly, there's going to be more, there's going to be more natural gas coming up out of hole that has hydrogen sulfide in it than not. Okay, now somebody's can prove me wrong on that. I'm I'm more than happy to be wrong, but I don't think so, man. And especially not in the Permian Basin in West Texas and the Anadarko fields up in uh, the Panhandle of of Texas. The gas coming out of that is is going to have some form of of hydrogen sulfide, which will turn into sulfuric acid in the combustion process. Um, I wish they'd answer, uh, but they didn't. Anyway. With all that said, I got to tell you, man, they've made a modular, portable, you know, system that can easily be dropped on a field. You can detach the the natural gas uh, off-gassing pipeline and connect it into these things and crank up a generator and then crank up mining. And as long as you've got an internet connection out there or even hell, a cellular data, you know, connection or a Blockstream satellite or something like that that you can transmit over, well, you've got yourself, you've got yourself a mining rig out in the middle of nowhere. And at least it's converting methane into CO2. I'd much rather it be CO2 than methane. Methane is kind of like, I think it's like a hundred, a hundred X worse than CO2 in the atmosphere. In either event, I, I still think upstream is doing good work. I really want to see somebody who can say, yes, we have a, catalytic converter system that can actively scrub in real time hydrogen sulfide gas to the, you know, to a proportion 
that is good enough to use in an internal combustion engine. And then you could drop these things anywhere and not give a shit. And that sort of, it's not that it needs to happen. It's like, my issue is like, well, hell, why not? Why? <laughs> anyway, there's your morning round. Then. File statistics. You know there's a price drop. I mean, come on. Of course, of course there's a price drop. So let's just go ahead and burn through it. I got Bitcoin at an average of 9,000, so we're sub 10, 9,705. Looks like the high is going to be over at hit BTC with a price of 9,710, and a low is going to be over at, oh, looks like it's going to be Simex at 9,682. 328,000 transactions have been done over the last 24 hours. 13,700 are being done at transactions are being done per uh, on average per hour. 1 million. Uh, yeah, this is low. About 1 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with an average sent per hour of 43,548. Average transaction value is 3.18 BTC. Median transaction value is back at about $300 at 0.031 BTC. Block time is slightly nominal, 9 minutes, 10 seconds. Uh, 0.32 BTC are being taken as fees on a per-block basis, and 50 BTC have been awarded in fees over the last 24 hours. The hash rate has dropped uh, 3.67% in the last 24 hours. We are under 70 exahashes, sitting at 62.83 exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 207. Litecoin is at 90. Bcash is at 291. BSV is at 163. Ethereum Classic is at $5.92. Dogecoin has had a drop, 0.0028. So it's where it was like forever. It's been bouncing around 3.2 and and, and 2.7, you know, for a long time. Uh, 27,000 transactions on Doge over the last 24 hours does not let it get to the BSV and Bcash thing. But it is comparable with Litecoin at 28,500. Anyway, uh, mempool space, let's look at this here. We are Again, we are consistently getting blocks that are over one megabyte. 1.11, 1.37, 1.35, 1.15, 1.11. And we've got uh, seven, we have seven blocks worth of unconfirmed transactions. And yeah, looks good. But even even these new blocks that are being built that will eventually be mined look like they're all above uh, one megabyte. So yes, people, we do have blocks larger than one megabyte. Don't let anybody tell you different. Anyway, there's your uh, vital statistics for the day. All right, I'm going to do something a little bit different for the song. We're going to play the same song from Monday, except from somebody else. Uh, it it dawned on me that um, kind of missing a chance to see like other, you know, I don't know. There, there's a couple things that 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 we miss when we only listen to like you know the song from the actual person that that you know produced it, and all, like you know from the album that it was 
originally out on is that we don't get a chance to see other people's versions of that. And also I don't get to, you know, we don't get to get exposed to new music. So this one is kind of special for me, for, uh, for you guys. This is a hillbilly band. Uh, there's just no other way to put it. And for all you hillbillies out there, I don't mean any disrespect. I'm a redneck from West Texas. I mean, come on, you know, people say that I don't give, you know, I don't give a shit, but the, this is town mountain and I had never heard of them before, but I got to tell you, man, these guys are pretty, are pretty good. And the vocalist, uh, is he's got a really, really solid banjo playing style and his voice just, I mean, when I heard this band, I was like, God, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Deliverance, that's where I'm going with this. Now, again, no disrespect to this to this crew of people. They're really good. Uh, it's just that they got that sound. They've got that sound that that backwoods, knee deep and bridge sitting banjo playing miscreants from deliverance and like, you know, villages that are out there in the, you know, whether the Appalachians and shit like that, where people are poor as dirt. That's where this sort of music was kind of, that's where we, you know, we always view that music from being kind of born from uh, that type of thing. These guys have nailed down this sound and have applied it to lawyers, guns and money from Warren Zevon. And here it is.
talking about, man? Dude, I mean, that it just it just screams like, you know, down home country cooking kind of thing. And I've got a lot of, you know, a lot of the uh, I don't know, man. I I I really actually kind of like this music. Now, I don't chill out and listen to freaking banjo music all day. But one time I got, I was in Telluride at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival and got exposed to a guy named Bela Fleck, one of the best banjo players I've ever heard in my entire life. If you haven't listened to Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones, man, you're not doing yourself any favors uh, because it's not just Bela, his entire band, it's like a three piece. And I don't, I'm thinking that they're still playing together as a three piece. Not sure, but the bass player's last name is Wooten. W double O ten, as he used to say, one of the best bass players I've ever heard in my entire life. And then his percussionist doesn't play the drums. He plays what's called a synth axe. And if you've never heard of a synth axe, you've got to you've got to look at the synth, you've got to Google synth axe. S Y N T H A X or A X E. I'm not sure, but you'll probably either one of those spellings will probably get you to the synth, the actual synth axe. And he plays the drums completely on this synthesized synthesizer guitar. It's uh, it's amazing, and I've seen them live at Bluegrass. I also saw them live at a, that Texas Tech uh, one of their uh, amphitheaters, and they're just amazing, amazing to watch. And what's more funny about it is that uh, um, oh, good lord, what the hell is it? Steve Martin? Steve Martin, when he started his comedy uh, comedy thing years and years ago, his, one of his bits was playing the banjo, and he he was he admits he's like at the time I did it just because I thought it would get a laugh, and now Steve Martin's one of the best banjo players again on the face of the planet, and he has cut like at least one album, and has played I think a couple of shows live with Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones, and it's just amazing to see somebody like Steve Martin become so good at something when it started out as just a joke that he's playing with talent the size of Bela Fleck. Anyway, the other thing that I wanted to say about bringing y'all this this band is that I would have never found this band had it not been for looking for covers of Lawyers, Guns, and Money. One of the other people that I found is a woman named Grace Potter, Oh my God, because, and I would have, I would have played that, but the, it was, a you know, like this was live performance, but its quality was pretty good. I found, came across a Jackson Brown who produced a lot of Warren Zevon stuff um, and Grace Potter playing live recently, a, a version of Lawyer's Guns and Money, but it wasn't quality enough to, to come in. However, I started digging into Grace Potter's things. And I'm like going, oh my God, I'm starting to, you know, and the list kind of goes on. But one of the things about finding people that play the cover of one of your favorite songs is you will find bands that think like you do, kind of, in a way, right? So you, you, you can find some compatible things by looking for bands who play covers of songs that you really, really enjoy. So I just wanted to make sure that you guys, uh, <laughs> you guys understood what it was that I was doing. Um, now we got to get into the train wrecked and I'm not happy about this, um, because this is this, the wasabi samurai wallet, dumpster fire drama bullshit. Um, and I'm not, I'm kind of not, it's not that I'm not happy with either side. 
and I'm not, you know, rooting for one side or another because my problem is, is that I like both of them. And I had always kind of hoped that samurai and wasabi would join forces, but it looks like that's never going to happen, especially now. Okay. So this is in, in connection with the fact that samurai dev and samurai, the samurai wallet team has made a couple of posts talking about a discovery they made in the wasabi, in the wasabi coin join stuff that says that suggests, cause I don't know. Okay. It's suggesting that coin joins are not as private as we think. Um, and this has kind of been playing out over the last few days, but it's really, really, really come to a head as of yesterday. Um, the train wreck I'm going to do is starts with Laurent MT. That's at Laurent MT. Um, he's writing about it and I'm only going to read, he's got a, a, he's got this whole, you know, uh, tweet thread about this. And Laurent MT has always been pretty much a rock solid dude. Um, and he still is, he's just, you know, he's just, he's saying what he thinks, man. And he says of an, he says in this tweet, this answer from no 73 makes me really sad, sad because of the hatred, but also sad because this hatred seems to lead to blindness. Now, no para is the guy behind Wasabi wallet or one of them main guy. And he, uh, Lauren has a screenshot of Nopara's uh, official statement. And he says, Nopara says, here's the official statement. And this isn't a Reddit feed. I don't know exactly what, what subreddit, but it's, it's definitely Reddit. He says, someone changed two lines in Wasabi's code base to reuse two addresses. Why? I don't know. It is strange. How does it affect other Wasabi users? Instead of 100, your anonymity set becomes 99 in a few mixes. How many mixes? There were 4,500 coin joins so far, and the addresses participated in a maximum 200 plus 400 coin joins, which Samurai says, quote, almost all Wasabi transactions, end quote, not like it did matter. The truth is, when I did my investigation on Samurai, I came to the realization that Samurai Dev and Samurai Wallet accounts are Craig Wright level sociopaths. It is scary how much shady, incompetent, and dishonest things they are doing, and I am going to disclose them one by one as my time affords it. Okay, so that's the the you know that's just the the Lauren MT quote. Now, Nopara's uh, Twitter account replies to that particular to that particular uh, tweet and says. What makes no pars says what makes me sad is that you are assisting that two sociopaths with their lies. Warrant or Lauren MT comes back just to say, wow. No par 73 uh, continues the exchange with what? Wow. What's next? Outright lying that Wasabi is not open source. Oh wait, he just did that. I wonder what excuses you'll come up with this time. Now, I'm not taking sides here uh, because like I said, I like both of these guys, but what's weirding me out is the vitriol with which that, that samurai and wasabi are kind of slashing, you know, lashing out at each other with um, it's not, I don't think it's good. Um, and I wish, I really wish they'd stop and figure out a way to either just, just stop and continue on working on your, on your stuff or figure out a way to have, a kind of kind of like the the relationship that Trezor and uh, Ledger have, 
where ledgers call, you know, they call out Trezor and they, they, and they, but they figure out a way to d- do it, you know, in, in, I don't know, sort of an affable way. I mean, they may not like it, but they are keeping each other honest. In this particular case, we have, you know, two sets of, of development teams kind of going after each other in an opposite way. And I don't like it. And that's why it's a train wreck. Now I'm not going to put the sound effect up because I really respect both these guys, but this shit is a train wreck. It's also a fucking dumpster fire. And so does this really impact the privacy set of Wasabi? I want to hear what Matt O'Dell has to say, because quite frankly, that's who I, I, he's got his, he's got a real good handle on what's going on with Wasabi as an outside as an outside person. And I haven't heard it. I I asked him, but he hasn't, he hasn't tweeted me back or anything. And it may be because he's really pulling apart what the hell's going on so that he doesn't misspeak. Um, I, I am looking forward to, to Matt addressing this because I get the feeling that he probably will. Um, I think in, in the near term, I really don't think we should worry about it. I, I really don't. Um, we're still early guys. I mean, and once they get this fixed, you know, once this gets fixed or whatever, just do some more coin joins. I mean, I don't think Nopar is just going to let this let this slide. I mean, I think if there is a problem, I think it will be fixed. And and that kind of leads me to the last thing that I want to say about it is that why the hell are we so impatient about shit? This is only this the whole industry is only ten years old, man. So try. Try, except for shit coiners, try to give everybody a break. All right? Try to give everybody a break. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile for the day. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you today by a little bit of darker humor. An owl and a squirrel are sitting in a tree watching a farmer go by. The owl turns to the squirrel and says nothing because owls can't talk. The owl then eats the squirrel because it's a bird of prey. <laughs> yeah, buddy. That's, that's a dark joke. And, and what, what's, what makes a joke like that funny? There's no real punchline. You're expecting one. It's, it, you know, the joke's short enough that you can get away with it by not wasting anybody's time. But then it's like, it just goes, it's like a rock falling over. Right. And so there's, again, there's a, there's a different way to invoke, you know, kind of humor where it's like the, the unexpected, you know, the, the unexpected punchline is what, is what I kind of like look at, at this one on. And the fact that it's dark cause you know, squirrel dies, <laughs> friggin' tree rats. Anyway, there's sure terrible joke and I'm gonna go ahead and and, and go on to the outro um, there's really not a whole lot to say there's a I mean it's it's pretty much a field full of dumpster fires out there um, the price isn't doing a whole lot in, other than just kind of dropping a little bit I'm you know we've been through this shit before I'm not worried I don't care it's the whole industry you know is is so large and has been instantiated for long enough that I'm like, yeah, it's not going to go away. You know, it scares the living piss out of a whole bunch of central bankers and, and guys that, that haven't worn anything other than a suit in the last 30 years. Then that means that that industry's probably is over the target. Um, I just, 
I'm not worried. And y'all shouldn't be either. Look for dips, stack sats, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to try to kick one of these shows out as a Thursday show and, uh, and adding to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, lineup to see if I get any more traction on, on listenership for a Thursday show. I've tried it a couple of times and it's like, uh, nobody expects it to come out because I'm always doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So anyway, I, th- I thought I'd, uh, maybe do a smaller show on Thursday or something like that. I don't know. I'm just kind of like, I'm kind of bouncing around in my head. Um, also if you guys want me to do something like not, and I'm not talking about shout outs, I'm talking about like, you know, uh, something that I'm not covering or something that you think is, is, is interesting that, that I need to talk about, dude, DM me. I'm at B E N N D seven, seven on Twitter. Um, if I, if my DMS are not open, just tweet me and say, Hey, I need to DM your ass because I got a question or whatever. And I'll follow you so that you can get, so you can get your DM in. Um, I just don't like, I don't know, man. It's like keeping my DMS open. I don't know, man. It's weird. Hodel and not kept his DM DMS open and we all knew where that thing went. So I'm like, no, I'm not even going to allow, you know, sneaky, creepy, weird CSW pieces of garbage, uh, have access to I- I- anything that they could do to send me any kind of paperwork. I'm just not going to do it. Um, so again, if you got something, I, you know, even if you just got a bad joke or a tune or something or whatever, Dude, let me know, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.